Welcome to Design Your Life. With what's going on in the world right now, it's putting a lot of pressure on individuals and organizations all around the world. And I thought it'd be good to have a chat to people um, about what they're going through at this moment in time at many places around the world to get insights of where they're up to, how they're dealing with the situation and how uh, maybe they see the new ideas coming out of this crazy madness um, but anyways, I thought I'd just call this series Redesign Your Life because I think what's happening is we are having a, a rethink. We're, we're being forced to stop. Uh, we've been sent home. Uh, we need to just spend some time with this. And I think a lot of people are beavering away at how they're going to come out of this in a better position than, than they were before. It wasn't great before. We all know that because of the cli- uh, climate change and global warming and fires and all kinds of things that have been going on around the world. So, you know, with this epidemic situation, you know, we're forced to stop. We're forced to think. We're forced to compare notes with each other. And I just really thought that we'll kick this particular series off with an incredible woman called Penny Lacasso. Um, she's based in Melbourne. I met her at the Perth conference, tech conference, actually, at Christmas. And she totally inspired me, um, her way of thinking and her energy voted one of the most influential female entrepreneurs in Australia. Penny is the world's first happiness hacker on a mission to teach 10 million humans by 2025 how to intentionally adapt in order to future-proof happiness. Hello. Hey, hey, Penny. Oh, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. (laughs) I think. Um, (laughs) Are, are you are you set up? Uh, are you somewhere quiet that you can talk now? I am. Fantastic. Um, I just thought I'd just we're just going to get straight into it, just because this is kind of a different podcast to what I normally do. Um, less so about the you know one's career and everything, but I guess it's much more about what you're doing and the importance of what you're doing and how it can be uh, help people in this current crisis that we're all going through. Mm. So what an interesting time. We need your help, Penny. Yeah, you know what? I feel um I feel very humbled at the moment. I just the amount of um amazing people reaching out and just the the beauty of the conversations I've been having. It's just um I feel like everything I've done in the last five years has prepared me to be able to support people now, which is, you know, it's a really nice feeling. Yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy time, and um, people are you know you're you're focusing on uh, happiness and intentionally adapting, you know, change people helping people to change for for the better to improve their lives mm-hmm. and mental well being. Um, yeah, absolutely. Never there's been never been a better time to have someone like you help people coach through this uh, the situation. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? How are yourself? Are you? How do you feel about the whole situation? If I'm completely honest, I feel um, that this is the wake-up call that we needed. I feel that we have a beautiful moment of inflection for humanity mm-hmm. to basically look at the world through a different lens and um, and just recalibrate with what it truly means to be human and, and what really does matter to us as human beings. That, so I, I'm actually, I feel more calm than I've, felt 
in a very long time. And I mean, I'm always a pretty calm person, but I just feel like this is this is our time. This is our time mm. to reset and 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 fix what we've done. Yeah, yeah. To to ourselves, um, to each other, and to the environment. Absolutely. Mm. Um, my part- so I feel I feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's people like you and a whole bunch of other people around the world who, are, who are, I guess, didn't necessarily see this coming, but certainly saw the need for that support and that perspective on life. Um, because it just feels like, you know, we've been heading towards this for uh, for years and it's just escalating. And yeah. it's, you know, we're all looking for solutions. Some people are just burying their heads in the sand. Some people are just getting on with things and not really thinking too deeply about it. Other people are going, holy crap. What do I do? Uh, other people are thinking, how might I change, and what can, what part can I play in in making this world a better place and fixing the things that are that um, should have been right before? Absolutely, and look, maybe the bubble I'm in is surrounded with the people who actually want to be part of shaping a better future for humanity. And I've just had so many wonderful conversations with random strangers around the world who. Who do want to use this as a as an opportunity to to reset? Mm. There's going to be huge change. You can see it. Um, I mean, it hasn't really hit us yet. So we're we're, we're no. one of the last countries, perhaps. Um, uh, you know, we're going to go into lockdown, probably like real lockdown in a couple of days, I would imagine. Um, very restricted access to anything, and we're all not probably not everybody either is working from home, but a lot of people are. Uh, sadly, a lot of people have been laid off as well um, across the country, which is horrific. Um, yeah, my boyfriend lost his job yesterday. I think, you know, there's, it, 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 it's, it's only just begun. I think that we will see a hell of a lot of that in the near future. Yeah. I mean, just the fear is that it just that we spiral downwards and um, into a recession and, and then into possibly a depression. But I just hope that doesn't happen because that's a long, that'll be a long time, long, painful time. Um, but I guess the thing is, like, a lot of people are working from home, and if they're not working from home, they're probably at home. And mm. and in a way, I mean, I've been at home for all my team are all at their whole houses, and um, it's been like a week and a half for us. We got out, we got it sorted out early, and luckily we're the, in an industry that we can just pick up our computers and go home, and um, you know, sit at a table, and it's the same thing, or on your lap, and it's really the same. You know, we still communicate uh, through technology. And uh, in fact, we've embraced new technology in a, in a much quicker way as well because of the actual immediate need. Um, yep. but very mindful about, it's interesting because some people are going, oh God, it's, yes, it's so good being from home. I can play with my cat and my dog and it feels great. Um, and other people are going, oh my God, I can't bear this. It's hell. Um, it's not what I, I don't like being at home in the first place. <laughs> and I don't like working at home. I feel isolated and I feel alone. Um, I guess we could talk about, can you talk about dealing with that, that situation where people are feeling, you know, how do you, not just in the workplace, but how do we deal with um, creating kind of a space around us or, or understanding this is not forever, um, but to, to maybe, I guess, help people change their approach to how they're processing it right now in some way. Yeah, so I'm a, a very big fan of, Focusing on what you can control, not what you can't. Mm-hmm. Because 
if you can't control it, you're, I would argue you're investing a lot of energy and angst, um, wasting, you know, wasting time on something that you can't have any influence over. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think in moments like this, the, the most important thing to do, I mean, yeah, it might be shit working at home and the kids might be running a mark and you might have to homeschool or you might actually be one of those people that I've come across a lot of who actually live alone and you've got actually no one else in the house and it's extremely isolating. Mm. Now, you know, you can't, they are uncontrollable, but that is the reality of the situation. And the sooner we accept that you, you know, you can't change that um, and it's likely to be a longer term thing, not a short term thing. I don't think that we're going to be, out of this situation in, in the next week, um, the I think that the better you will be in terms of saying, okay, well, what can I do to make the most of this experience? What is within my control? And the one thing you can always control is um, how you respond to a situation. Mm. And that will impact your mindset. And so, you know, I, I if I think of um, my situation, like how do you deal with it? I've got um, a nine-year-old son who's out of school. I'm a single parent. So it's just me and him in the house. I've got my own business that, you know, basically overnight um, has lost a whole heap of revenue because every event um, and, you know, speaking engagement and workshop has been shut down in terms of the client base that I deal with. I can't I can't change any of that. I can't change it. But what I can do is say, well, how, how am I actually going to make sure that each day is the best that it can be? Like, what are the simple things that I can do? And for me personally, um, that's about just putting some structure into the day um, in terms of how much time am I going to invest with my son helping him school mm-hmm. and what does that look like so that it's fun and engaging for each of us and not painful and excruciating mm-hmm. and how can I put some boundaries around um, my work in those times so I don't feel frustrated because I'm trying to work and help him at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I be kind to myself? Yeah, because I think that the expectations, people are feeling like they've had to go and now they've got to work from home and do that and do everything else that's been thrown at them at the same time. I think that's extremely unrealistic. You can't expect yourself to be at optimum performance in a crisis where you're experiencing trauma and you've got multiple distractions, which you cannot get rid of because they're they're real. Um, So how do you just be kind to yourself and accept the fact that you're not going to be working at 100% productivity. What does like what? What's one thing that if you tick it off today will make you feel better? So I just think it's it's what are the small changes you can make in your day that are within your control that are going to help you get to the end of the day and feel good in a situation that is outside of your control. Mm. Yeah, that's I, kind of how I look at it. It's interesting because I, I think a lot of people. Uh, including myself, um, struggle with that idea of being kind to yourself. You know, I think with yeah. forget this crisis, but prior to that, um, I don't know what that is inside of us. What is that, do you think? Maybe it feels selfish. And I think we're mm. so, I think in, in the world we've created has made us so wired for external validation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and social media has fed that machine. Yeah. Um. That, you know, I think that social validation and, and all of what we see online um, impacts our ability to be kind to ourselves because we often don't think, we don't feel good enough because we don't measure up to what we're seeing or we don't measure up to the expectations that we put on ourselves. And 
I think the expectations we put on ourselves um, more often than not and equally measuring up to someone's showreel and comparing it to your behind the scenes, you know, like mm. the expectations are unrealistic. They're not achievable and it just makes us feel shit. Well, this is a scary time because obviously people are have more time potentially on their hands and I just read this morning that there's been a 72% increase in people you you know accessing social media, uh, which is massive. I thought it already was mm-hmm. extortionate uh, number of people using it, and um, not that I don't use it. It's highly addictive, and it is um, incredibly distracting. And I guess it, it's a form of entertainment in some in in some regards, but it also is. Uh, yeah, you can see how it could be quite damaging, and also in terms of the messaging. You know, just kind of what is the message that people should be, if they are on social media, what message should they be giving the world? You know, it's not business as usual. Um, you don't want to create doom and gloom. Um, you know, what, what, what do you think people could do um, to contribute in some way a positive kind of uh, approach to, to um, communicating with the world or getting their message out? So there's two things. One is... Um, I've been speaking with a lot of people where the amount of social media and just media in general they've been consuming in the last two weeks has not been supporting their mental health. And I can see it, like I can stand back objectively and I can see the spiral. And so the first thing I would say, back to the earlier point, if you look at your day and focus on what you can control, not what you can't, if what you're looking at is not making you feel good Mm. and is only making you feel more traumatised and further emphasising, you know, the crisis that we are in, mm-hmm. I would say switch it off um, like, and limit or limit the amount of consumption. Be very strict in how you allow yourself to consume what is feeding, you know, the beast that is anxiety for so many people and we already had an anxiety epidemic before we even walked into this. Yeah, absolutely. So I've become very considered in what I'm consuming and to the point where I've actually shut off a lot of media because I just can't believe how negative and also how much misinformation is out there um, and how distracting that is to the point where I've actually just said to my dad, can you just let me know if there's anything that I really need to know? <laughs> because I'm only going to check it. I'm Poor only going to check. So he, he's, yep. <laughs> he's saturated with watching everything. Just he can't case. help himself, right? <laughs> and there's no way I can stop him. He's 77 yeah. and he's obsessed. So I know he's all over it. And for me, I just, I don't find it helpful. And I'm seeing it's not helpful for a lot of people. So the first thing, rather than look at, at immediately what you're contributing to it, ask yourself, is this making me feel better? And if it is not making you feel better, be very selective in what you look at. And equally, only allow, like for me, I only allow myself to check the news once a day. And before this, I didn't even look at the news because it didn't feel it added any value to my life in terms of creating a positive mindset. Yep. So that's the first thing. Be very conscious of what you're consuming and shut it off so it doesn't make you feel good. In terms of contributing to social media, I mean, it's not my place to judge who puts what on social media, but I made a very conscious effort in the context of what I was observing going on um, when this all started. Mm-hmm. So I basically say I will not share anything that is not helping um, to uh, positively impact minds. Mm. So I... I'm only sharing things that are really simple tools to enable people to navigate fear mm-hmm. um, because that is the biggest challenge people have at the moment. It's the fear and how that is, um, you know, disrupting their lives. And um, I will share basically tools and um, ways for people to humanly connect 
in a virtual world because we know human connection makes us happier and healthier. It's scientifically proven. And I will only share stories of kindness where people are doing good things in the world because there's enough people on social media sharing stories of people hitting each other over the head with toilet rolls. Like, I just, to me, that doesn't add any value to my life. I don't need to know about it. No, you're um, right. To be very, so for me, I, I'm not going to tell people what to put up, but I think the more we share stories of kindness, the more we um, gift our services in the spirit of supporting people's mental well-being and being able to effectively navigate um, the significance of change, uh, I think that, that we will only be better. We will only be better off. Mm, I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that uh, people are going to have a, a you know bit of time to, to do this recalibration and rethinking you know, their whole lives because it does make you, you know, something as dramatic as this. I mean, we had it before with the fires and, and you know, the conversations and the whole uh, climate change. Um, yeah, that was on 24-7 as well, and rightly so. Um, uh, my, my concern is that that kind of climate change kind of focus has now been overtaken by this situation. And, you know, we need to still, you know, we all need to change the way that we live. We need to... Um, you know, stop kind of abusing the world. And I guess this this does, again, emphasize that. But I think more people are more worried about their own survival versus the world, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and, and that's how the brain works, yeah. So when when you... When your basic human needs are not met, so air, water, shelter, um, food, and safety your brain goes into survival mode, which is why we're seeing a lot of the behavior that we're seeing because I think the thing that's compromised at the moment from so many people is safety. They, mm-hmm. The uncertainty and the job loss and the financial pain is making a lot of people feel very unsafe. Mm-hmm. And and so when those basic human needs are, are compromised, what happens is the brain um, goes into survival mode. Mm-hmm. And when you're in survival mode, you know, basically you go into this space of tunnel vision, which is a real thing where all you can focus on is meeting that that human that that basic human need that you have. Everything else is in the periphery. You you just can't you can't do anything about it. And so um, unless we can help people start to feel safe again, and I can't give people their jobs back. I'm not suggesting that, and I can't sort out you know the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. But what we can do is give people really simple skills to start to learn how to intentionally adapt so that when unprecedented unprecedented change occurs and is imposed, they have what they need to be able to sit in the pain of it because you, you have to, mm-hmm. but know that they'll come out the other side a little bit better than what they what they were before. Mm-hmm. But I just find this situation so fascinating because I just feel like I feel like Mother Nature has basically sent, you know, the, the naughty children of the world, which is what we are as homo sapiens, mm-hmm. um, into their bedroom for time out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so basically we have now been gifted this, this time out in our bedrooms to actually think about what truly matters and how we can start to shape our behavior to start to bring those things to the fore. And everything that I'm hearing from the conversations I'm having with people all around the world is that we are walking into the human age. This is the age where it's time to put humans first. It's time to look at how we 
start to care for one another, be kind to one another, and be kind to the environment that we have, um, with, that we've abused. Mm. Wow. A pandemic has given us a permission to actually make the time for what matters because we couldn't make the time ourselves. I think I, I totally agree with you. Um, the thing that I that I'm sitting here doing is is you know we're doing we have, we still have some work on um, and communicate with the team and, and everything. Um, still communicate with a whole bunch of people outside, which is keeps me a bit sane. Um, yeah. But, but it's sitting here going, oh my god, I don't know, I don't know what you know that that kind of readjustment may be happening, and being forced into that situation, but it's not immediately apparent what the what the ideas are. The ideas are percolating. I mean, for a long time, I was just in going, holy crap, this is going to be hell, um, or one minute I'm going that, next minute I'm going, you know what, this is going to blow over. Depending who you talk to, everyone's like, changes how you're feeling in that in that moment. And your your feelings and your emotions are up and down like a yo-yo. Um, and I did go through that phase of watching way too much. You know, I was looking at the news feed, I was looking at CNN, American TV, Inc. British TV, and just going, holy crap, this is huge. Um, and then people pulling out stuff from... Bill Gates TED Talk five years ago, and you know sci-fi movies where this was kind of all kind of predicted. Um, and is this going? You know, just gonna go. I'm just gonna take all this stuff in to get some the context. You know, to to, to see that it's not it's not just me or not just us in Sydney that are in this situation, but it actually is a world uh, event. And some of them, some of the world, some of the countries obviously are, are, have experienced it prior to us. So, what clues can mm. we get from that? Um, but it's sitting here going, God, this could be the end. I mean, being a, a fatalist, <laughs> uh, I am very optimistic normally. But there's there's moments now where I just go, God, where's my optimism gone? Um, because I don't. Optimism comes when you when you have this kind of a way in a way for me a more of a naive you know uh, feeling that there is potential and everything, um, which I believe there is of course. But in moments like this, you just get a bit kind of like um, stuck, and it's that stuck thing that I want to kind of talk about is the is not the, the not knowing is not um, first of all going through the fear and then going okay I've calmed down a bit. Um, what does my future look like? What does the world's future look like? How how am I do things differently? Maybe people are, maybe not everybody is thinking about doing things differently. But I don't know. It's it's getting beyond the fear and and allowing yourself to have that time and space to uh, to not know. You know, I think that's yes. what I kind of want to talk about because I think that everyone seems to have the answers. You know, anyone you talk to, they have an answer for this and for that. Um, but the individual, that's why you go to people for answers because you don't necessarily know them yourself. But when you're in isolation, you feel like you do literally feel isolated. Um, how would you advise people to begin to uh, create that space or be comfortable with the space of not knowing? There's two things I would say. The first thing you, you mentioned here, and um, I think the first thing is don't try and hide the fear. Don't try and avoid the fear. I think at the moment um, we need to embrace the fear and and just allow ourselves to sit in it and understand what it is we are truly afraid of. You know, people say, I'm worried for my children. Well, what what are you worried for your children about? Like, what, what really is the concern? Well, I'm worried they won't have a job. 
I won't be able to get a job in the future. Okay. So how does that impact you? What does that mean to you? Why are you afraid if they don't have a job? And so I just, I think sitting in the fear and truly understanding what that fear means and not just sitting in it alone. So one, allowing yourself to embrace the fear and understand it, but also getting the fear out of your head, getting it down on paper or collectively sharing it with other people is one of the most powerful things you can do. Because what I have observed from working with thousands in the space of fear is that when we normalize fear and we talk about the things that scare us most, we realize we are not alone. We are all sharing the same fears and it makes us feel more comfortable with what we're feeling. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is totally fine. So, but I would say don't, don't sit alone in the fear. Allow yourself to embrace it. Allow yourself to think it through, but also allow yourself to share it with others because if you don't, it will just get way bigger in your head. Mm-hmm. And that's when it becomes that feeling of stuckness because it becomes a feeling of overwhelm. So that's the, that's the first thing um, I would say. And, and when you talk about the future, and so I'm a big fan of, of changing bite-sized pieces and doing things um, in, in really, like really little changes um, consistently over time because I've spent a lot of time working with people who are in a state of overwhelm and overload and burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we've come off. You know, we've come off a busy epidemic. Um, people were extremely burnt out. We've got an anxiety epidemic. We had a loneliness epidemic alongside it. Mm-hmm. And now we've given people a major crisis and, and the trauma that, that goes with that. And so you don't have to have the answer right now to what's next. And I actually think if you had the answer right now, that the answer is likely to be reactionary. Mm-hmm. It's not likely to be intentional and well-considered. Yeah. And one of the things that we have considered a luxury and sidelined in this busy epidemic that we've come off the back of is thinking is contemplating, mm. is, you know, exploring philosophy and um, sitting in the wonder of what could be. Mm-hmm. And I think many of us have been given permission um, through the space that we now have to think mm-hmm. and to not have the answers and to embrace the inefficiency of thinking around what could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue get comfortable with the discomfort Mm-hmm. of not knowing because the reality is things are changing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So how about rather than trying to work out what it's going to look like for the next 12 months, we just focus right now on what it's going to look like in the next 24 hours Yep, That's really and just allow ourselves to sit in the space of thinking and contemplating and bringing intention to, um, to the space that we have. That's fantastic advice. How, how, do, how did you deal with that with your – have you got several kids, one kid? I've got one child uh, and a, a black Labrador, which is the second child. <laughs> <laughs> I keep saying I've got two French bulldogs who are sitting by my feet asleep snoring. So if that comes across, that's not me snoring. That's, uh, that's I've uh, got a, the Ralph same thing at my feet. <laughs> it's a big black Labrador. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, they can sense it because they, they, they're, they're, they're definitely following me around a lot more than usual. Um, oh, animals have that instinct. They yeah. definitely know what's going on. How have you explained it to your son? Because um, I think obviously as parents, uh, we'll come to businesses in a minute, but as parents, it's, 
it's uh, it's a tricky thing too, isn't it? It's um, explaining what's going on in the world uh, right now, uh, and obviously not trying to kind of create fear for your kids as well. So we have an agreement, um, and the agreement that we have is that I will always tell him the truth. Mm-hmm. And um, I can honestly say that's difficult, but I can equally say it has served me and it's served our relationship. And I've said to him, if he asks me a question, I will always tell him the truth. He's not two. And I will be two, He's not two, is he? <laughs> no, he's nine. Okay, all right. I was going to say. He's nine. Yeah. And I feel like he's so, mature enough to handle the truth. And yeah. so the conversations we've had um, started around, it's going to look like the world's going crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the reality. You're going to see things and you're going to go, what that, like, the world is going crazy. And I said, it's going to look like the world is going crazy. But what you what you need to know is that we're not going crazy. This is going to be hard and things are going to change and it's going to be difficult and people are going to experience a lot of pain and um, people are going to lose their job and there's going to be a lot of sadness. But the only thing we can control as a family is how we respond and how we behave. And as long as we've got each other, as long as we've got a roof over our head and food on the table, we're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And we've got a beautiful support network around us of family. These are the things that truly matter in life. And I said to him, this is going to be one of those moments where it's going to look like the world's going crazy, but it's also, he keeps saying to me, oh, mum, if you say gift one more time, so, I keep saying to him, this is a what? gift for humanity. Oh, gift. Okay, gift. Yeah, yeah. Gift. And I said, this is a gift for humanity. This is going to reconnect people to what really matters, which is kindness, compassion, empathy, and care for one another and for the environment. And so that's the way I've positioned it. And so when he sees people, if he comes across something crazy, because I wouldn't show it to him where he sees people fighting over toilet paper on YouTube or something like that, mm-hmm. that's the crazy we talk about. Yeah. But that's not that's not how we choose to show up um, in in the environment that we're in. Mm. So that's kind of the conversations we have. Yeah, I think that's great. What about... Um, and he's not afraid. He thinks it's bloody great. I know it sounds crazy. He's sitting there going, this is great. I don't even, I don't know when I'm going back to school. And my mum gets to be my teacher. <laughs> yeah. It's let's, really interesting. Let's see how long that lasts. It was like another couple of days. It'd be like, mom, I want to go. I want to go to school. <laughs> Without a doubt. I think the social isolation for kids is the hardest. And especially being, you know, him being an only child. I think when you've got siblings at least, You've got people to play with, so um, yeah. you know that's probably going to be the biggest challenge for him over over the week or so. So we'll see how yeah. we go. Yeah, totally. Agree. It's not perfect, no. but I think not treating them like children and actually treating them like human beings and mm. and trusting that you know they can they can start to process some of this stuff for themselves. I think this is a brilliant opportunity to build some resilience in yeah. our kids in a way that we haven't in in the past. We've protected them. Yeah, and actually, from a lot of stuff. And actually, as you say, teach te- teach them real values too around compassion and care and empathy. Um, we yeah. saw them before. I think it became so so it has become so materialistic, um, so fast, so much pressure, so expensive. Um, yeah, I, did, I hope it is a total reset. Um, just about businesses, um, because you know, as I'm I'm a CEO of my business and. At these times, uh, this also was a tricky time for people in leadership positions. And I know that you used to work. Was it um, was it KPMG, Deloitte, or somewhere? Shell. Shell. I was in oil and gas. 
Oh, were you? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so you were in the big corporate world. Um, and, you know, the big cor- corporate world and any, any form of business, I guess, is in the same situation going, um, we need to survive this. How do I stay positive? How do I look like I'm, um, you know, got things under control? Or how do I be a good leader in this type of situation? Um, really, really hard, actually, because... Um, because if we're all going through that fear, like everybody else in the world, and that anxiety, it's hard to kind of put on a brave face at times. Um, what would your advice be for people in those positions? The first thing I'd say is, why do you need to put on a brave face? I mean, this is your opportunity. I mean, I, I always think to, to lead is to serve, yeah? That, 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 that saying has stuck with me forever. Mm-hmm. And so... The greatest opportunity leaders have for now is to meet people where they're at, meet their teams where they're at, um, and and the best way to do that is just to listen, um, and to not be brave, to be real, to be to be honest, and to be vulnerable and share how how this is affecting you. I mean, that creates connection. Mm-hmm. I think the beauty of the situation we're in is that we were. It's even the playing field. Yeah, true. Everyone now. Everyone now is on the same level. Yep. So, you know, the greatest opportunity leaders have is to, to, to lead in the context of listen, be who you are and remove the filters mm-hmm. because it will create connection in a way that you didn't have before with your people and, and to meet your people where you're at in terms of how can you help them in just getting through the next 24 hours. Yeah. Um, it's so fascinating to me. We've been running these sessions online all week called Human Hour, where we connect random strangers from around the world mm-hmm. and um, basically spend an hour doing simple exercises that um, create happiness and humanly connect us. Mm. And it's been, it's been such a beautiful experience and so many people in the corporate world have said how much they've loved um, in the context of virtual working, watching their leaders trying to juggle, you know, sitting on a conference call with 15 people as the leader with their kids running around in the background while they're <laughs> sitting in a bedroom on their computer in a makeshift office, you know, and it, it's just put everyone on the same level and it's it made it okay to not overlay the filters of trying to be a professional when all this shit is going on behind you. Yeah. Um, and so I think as a leader, embrace it. It makes you real. It helps your people to feel more connected, which means they're more likely to share with you and communicate with you, which means you can understand them better and you can support them better. Mm. Well, that's really good advice. What about the, the, the staff themselves? Because obviously they're fearful of um, their roles because so many people are being uh, laid off at the moment around, um, you know, already in Australia and around the world. Mm-hmm. I had a, a podcast last night and um, with a mate in London, he just said it's just incredible. Everyone's downsized, which is a, it's just like when you build a culture over time and you build a team uh, and a capability um, or whatever it might be, a restaurant or whatever, that kind of, that energy um, is fantastic and it's, and it's deliberate and that kind of focus, etc. And the thought of have, having, having to be forced to actually retrench people or remove people from the businesses has got to be the hardest thing ever. Oh. How, how and like you say, I doing that when you're suffering as well. Like you, you're, you're suffering as well. And then you have to go and 
you know, in, in part for the suffering to other people. I think that is the hardest thing and it's so hard. Mm. How's, uh, let's not talk about how, the person who's doing the the call, but more the, the, the person on the receiving end of that. How, how best do you reckon they should be? I mean, that's, they're not going to be in a very happy moment at that time. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you, what do you recommend that they do in terms of helping them get through that period? Because it's being forced on them. It's a forced on. They've got to immediately not only got the crisis, then you've then you've lost your job, and you've got to re like your your boyfriend, uh, for example. Like you go, it's bad enough as yeah. it is. Now I've lost my job. You know, the worst thing has happened ever, and no one's going to be necessarily hiring somebody right now uh, for a while. I mean, how do you deal with that? I would, for me, like, I mean, I, I can't profess to know what that, well, my situation's different. So when I say different, I haven't, no one's told me I've lost my job, but I've lost pretty much all my business overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, again, I come back to the two things, um, well, three things. The first thing in crisis, I think you've got to allow yourself to sit in the misery of what it is. You can't sit there and go, oh, tomorrow I'm going to be happy and I'm going to turn my life around and you know what, I've lost my job but I can I can move on and I can sort all of this out. That's not, I mean, that's not real. No. So when crisis hits in our, in our lives, the way that I generally deal with it is I allow myself to sit in the pain. I, You know what, a bit of wallowing and, and mm-hmm. you know, being in that moment, that's fine. We should allow ourselves to experience those feelings. Mm-hmm. But the way that I deal with it is that I say, you know what, I'm going to allow myself to sit with this. I'm going to allow myself to wallow, but I'm going to put an end point on it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow myself to sit in this for the next month because that's not going to help me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to allow myself to experience the feelings that I'm going to say, you know what, come this time on this day, I need to say, okay, what is it that is within my control that I can do to start to help me? move forward in some small way. And it can be absolutely anything. It doesn't have to be massive, but just one step that's going to enable me to feel better and move forward in some way. And it might be, like, seriously, it might be as simple as saying, you know what, I actually didn't, like, here's one thing I do know. A lot of people didn't fucking like their work. (laughs) So what a beautiful opportunity once you've allowed yourself to sit in the the, the, the shit that it is, yeah, what a beautiful opportunity to say, you know what, if I could do work that I actually enjoyed, what would I do? What am I curious about? And could I get online and start to learn something new? Yeah, There's yeah, so yeah. many free learning and, you know, and online courses. Yeah. What a beautiful opportunity to now reinvent yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so that's the first thing that I would say. What is Again, focus on what you can control, not what you can't. And if you're one of the probably 80% of people that, that the stats show don't like their work, what a beautiful opportunity to start to say, what if I could recreate what my work looks like? Mm. Um, and, and the other thing I would say, so the, the, the third thing I would say, it comes back to being kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. If you don't have your mental health, you have nothing. Yeah. And losing your job. Well, don't say yeah, that. That makes me very anxious. <laughs> You say that. Well, no, no. When I um, say you have nothing, sorry, yeah. you go. No, no. Just kind of when you're questioning your mental health and you hear that, that makes me uh, more anxious than ever. But yeah, keep going. 
But, but, but what I'm saying is, I mean, I'm not critical of people with anxiety. I'm not, I'm not, none of that. What I'm saying is, other than flattening this COVID curve, the second most important priority we have for humanity at the moment is supporting people with their mental health. Mm-hmm. Because we already had a global mental health crisis. Yeah. And then you overlay this over the top of it. Yeah. How the hell are we going to help people get through this? And so when I say you don't, if you don't have your mental health, if you, if you don't have strategies and support to manage your mental health, that's a problem. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a real challenge on our hands. And, mm. and you're not alone. You are one of millions. Mm. So what is going to help you in being able to maintain a level of mental health in the context of the current environment? What do you need? And how can you actually create a structure in your everyday that's going to support you in, in, in elevating your mental health in some way? And I think that is so critical in the context of, of the space that we find. That's a, my biggest concern at the moment and the reason why, even off the back of my situation, I'm sitting there going, I've got all this amazing work. I teach people how to intentionally adapt. I've got loads of content. How can I give what I do away for free? to help people just maintain their mental health at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're running all of these free online um, programs, not webinars, not speaking at people, because what I'm seeing at the moment is no one has the capacity to be spoken at. No No one has the capacity to take on new information and learn new things. Mm -hmm. All they have the capacity for is to basically have a conversation around how they can just navigate the next 24 hours how they can feel connected humanly, and how how can I get through the fear that I'm experiencing? So I just let my dog go down the stairs. Um, <laughs> did, did you hear that? Oh my no. god! No, they're up and down these wooden stairs like unbelievable. Anyways, they make a terrible sound. Um, Jesus, that was powerful. What you just said um, certainly resonated with me, and I think that I feel like you know I often say this in my life when things get get heavy and stressful i just want to i just want to press the pause um press the pause button and stop for a bit to kind of just get myself take the pressure off the pressure is what actually gets me um because right now it certainly feels like the pressure is coming at us from all all angles um and but i guess people with mental um you know various aspects of mental health there'd be different causes or different reasons and different trigger points that make them um, so help uh, contribute to their struggle, you know. Um, I guess there's probably not one answer for for everything. Um, how do you? And take- there's no silver bullets. No. There is no silver bullets to any of this. Yeah. So if you're looking for a quick fix, I I can guarantee you it don't exist. This is hard work. Getting through this is going to be hard work. Mm. When I know before when I stopped drinking about nine years ago, and I know that. I would drink in the evening after work, after a very heavy, busy day. Um, and that became a bit of a crutch for me. And I became, you know, drinking, you know, one glass a night to one bottle to two bottles. Uh, I'm not ashamed to ex- expose that. I've talked about that a lot. But it, yeah. it, it made my situation absolutely unbearable. I didn't think it was at the time, but it just became mm. worse. Because I think that's something we could talk about is that, you know, a stimulus like that or other things um, might seem like uh, uh, you know a solution at the time, but it's not. Um, it's not really helping you, is it? It's not helping you in terms of since I since I've stopped drinking, 
I feel like a very different person in terms of how I deal with things. It took a long time to kind of uh, readjust to actually not escaping because that, you know, the thing when you feel that kind of fear, you want to run, you know. Um, you don't want to sit with it. <laughs> you know, you say, just sit with it, um, feel it, allow it to go past. I'm like, screw that. <laughs> I want to get out of it. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, I, mean, a lot of, I think a lot of people at this time probably or could be, you know, drinking more, for example. Um, how, how, do you, how do you navigate that? I mean, it just, it blows my mind that when they were talking about lockdowns the other day here in Australia and, you know, Dan Murphy's got queues down the road. Yeah, exactly. Um, just getting the basics, toilet roll and booze. Yeah, and then they had to put restrictions. I think it was in WA. They started to restrict the amount of alcohol people could buy. Um, yeah. And that was only like four, four or five days ago. Uh, <laughs> yes, you. Yeah. so to, to the first point, yes, you, you know, running away from fear and not wanting to sit in it, I, I totally get it. We, we're, we're wired to certainty. We feel comfortable, um, you know, we, we feel comfortable when we know what's coming next. And the reality is no one knows what's coming next from day to day at the moment. Mm. So it's but hard the to, greatest opportunity. Sorry, sorry, you know, there's a fight or flight and it's hard to fight something you can't see or don't know what it is, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so... You know, I think it's it's interesting because I I honestly believe that the magic in terms of our growth and our possibility lies in the things that we are avoiding. And when we decide to consume drugs or alcohol and, you know, loads of it every day, um, that's an avoidance strategy. And, and look, I'm not here to judge and I'm certainly not here to tell you people how much to drink. Mm-hmm. But if you're avoiding the current situation every day for weeks on end by and using um, a drug or alcohol to do that, um, it's not going to help you work out what's next in a way that's intentional mm-hmm. and in a way that's going to serve you uh, long-term yeah, yeah. and be sustainable, sustainable for your physical health, for your mental health, um, and equally um, for the relationships that you have around you. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you if you need that glass of wine to cope today with what's going on, I mean, that, that's totally up to you. What I think is more concerning is where that behaviour is consistent and it's consistent as an avoidance strategy to dealing what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Because avoiding pain um, that's not going to go away because it, it's going to be there for a while, mm-hmm. it will not serve you long term. No, no. Um. Let's just talk about your business, uh, Be Kindred, um, and how mm. that, that all came about. Because I remember I saw you at Rotnest, um, I think around yeah. Christmas time, you did a talk about um, your business and your journey, etc. It was really fascinating. I mean, what an amazing location that was, eh? It was, and now they're using it as quarantine <laughs> for cruise ships. Can you believe what, oh, a, no. what a great place to be oh. in quarantine, right, Mister? <laughs> oh my God, I, I, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being quarantined there, but not with people who've got the, you know, the no, boss. no. Um, yeah. So, how did all of this come about? Is yeah. that what you want yeah, me yeah, to? Yeah, I just want to know because you you did a massive change in your life, um, going from the corporate world. Ending a relationship and a whole bunch of stuff. Move, move to another state. I'm not going to tell yeah. it. I'm not going to tell it. All. I'll let you tell it. Tell your journey. 
Um, I just think it helps people put it into context in terms of where you've come from to where you are today. Yeah, so I lived the most certain, comfortable life that you could live. I had everything, you know, that I was told would make me successful at the age of 39 and, um, you know, ticked every box. I had, uh, you know, the, the flashy corporate career. I had a beautiful home and European cars in the driveway and, you know, international travel and, you know, life was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and first world problem, I was sitting there having ticked all these boxes I was told, was told would make me successful slash happy um, and I was unfulfilled. And I was like, how can this be? I was told when I got to this point that, you know, I would be complete. Mm. And I realized that when I asked myself what happiness slash success looked like for me on my own terms, it was none of the things that I'd created, which were all centered around ego um, and acquisition or material items. Mm-hmm. So the things that made me happy were human connection, positively impacting the lives of others, and being present and in the moment and sharing experiences. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, hang on a second. They're all the things that get sidelined by the nature of the life that I'm living because mm-hmm. I'm so busy and so important. And so I basically went, right, I've created a whole life around a societal definition of success, not my own, and so I'm going to basically turn my whole life upside down in pursuit of happiness in order to reset the foundations. I mean, if you want to disrupt yourself, I've already, I feel like whilst I haven't lived through an, an epidemic or a pandemic, I'm I'm pretty good at pushing myself into crisis. Mm. So I choose it. So that I, I learned over the last five years that by choosing to disrupt yourself in ways that push you um, into, you know, uh, crisis, the skills you build will serve you no matter what presents when, when crisis is imposed rather than selected. Mm. So within a, a seven-month period, I left a 16-year career as an executive at the top of my game. I relocated my family from Perth back to Melbourne, which is like LA to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically left an 18-year relationship uh, and started my own purpose-driven company with the sole intent of positively impacting the lives of others. And wow. so when there was no one out there to teach me how to work out what happiness looked like for me and then how to learn the skills to bring more of it into the everyday, I went out and tried to find a way of creating that so that I could support others in defining their happiness and creating habits and behaviors that would enable them to weave more of it into the everyday. So that, you know, and so the the context of that was all around um, a methodology which we've now created, which is um, a skill set in how to intentionally adapt. How do you bring intention and meaning to the forefront of the decisions that you make Mm -hmm. so that you can basically um, move through change in a way that is uh, aligned with what matters most to you. Were, were you in HR in that previous business? No. And it's so funny. I get asked whether I was an org site, whether I was in HR. I was a commercial business person. So I managed a number of large-scale businesses, mm. um, from a sales perspective, so sales, marketing, brand and communications. But my consistent theme through the work that I did for 16 years was um, managing large-scale change uh, and helping people people to do that. So, And working with them, I always thought with change, what's so fascinating is that so many organisations were good at imposing change rather than engaging it. And I was always about how do we engage people in change so that they can be part 
of what that change looks like. So I guess that, that, so that the, was, those experiences led you to probably frustrations also around, geez, I need to get to the front of this, the front face of this and do it myself. But you must have been brought, how were you brought up? And I mean, what was your life like way back? Um, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Excuse me. I don't mean way back. Uh, that's rude. <laughs> I, <laughs> it is way back. <laughs> no, no it mean, is way back. What I, mean, what I mean is when you're a kid, you know, you're growing up, your parents very compassionate, you know, full of empathy and kind of, did, do you feel like you were, you're already that person, you know, prior to it just being after you left your big corporate job? Do you know what I mean? I grew up, and it's really interesting because I think definitely how you grow up impacts or shapes um, who you are without a doubt. I mean, we know this, but um, I grew up with um, a single mum from the age of 11 who uh, was a farmer and um, a very hard worker with an unbelievable work ethic. And um, she raised three kids with not very much at all and uh, no financial support from my dad, who I'm extremely close to, but it was a horrific divorce. Um, and she basically, well, she's, I'd say she's the reason I am the way I am in so many regards. I mean, this is a woman who at the age of 62 thought it was a great idea to reinvent herself and become a yoga instructor for the elderly. You know, um, her... Outlook on life, she always told me I could do or be anything I ever wanted to be mm-hmm. and that I should never let me ta- never let anyone tell me anything different. Um, she always told me that she would love me no matter what as long as I wasn't hurting people mm-hmm. and I was doing um, what made me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she instilled an unbelievable work ethic in me. She made me unbelievably resilient. Um, there was, you know, it was definitely, while she's extremely loving, it's definitely tough love in the context of, um, you know, you, you've got to sort your shit out. I can't fix things for you. Mm. You need to learn to fix things yourself. Mm. And if you want to get ahead in this life, you need to learn how to do things. So, I mean, I remember cooking, cleaning for the whole family, doing the washing and running the whole household from the age of 11 because mm. mum was always out working on the farm. Yeah. That was just the reality. And the irony is I resented her for years and now what she has taught me through her own behaviour and equally um, through the way that she raised me, um, is all the things that now enable me to be able to have the mindset um, and the behaviours that I do that serve me through these situations. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I remember watching you on, mm. on stage, uh, as the whole audience was, um, and then I watched a few, few of your TED Talks and other talks, and I was going, this woman is the most confident person I've ever seen on stage. <laughs> Did you study acting or something? What, 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 where'd that come from? Because I think, you know, I, I do, I've done a lot of talks over the years, but I, you know, I think I get warmed up after, warmed up once I get on stage, but Jesus, it scares the crap out of me prior and can be really debilitating. But I just, I was just kind of mesmerized by the, how, how confident you were and how articulate you are. Um, I'm not saying that in a condescending way. I've got huge respect for you for, you know, you and what you're doing and, where you've come from and uh, where you are now and, and all the good that you're helping uh, others with, you know? Um, but yeah. where, where does that come from? I uh, look, I have to be honest. I was born, I mean, I'm definitely an extrovert without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I thrive off human connection. I love to be around people. Um, so that, that certainly helps. I've always been confident in my nature. It's just 
um, it's part of my, my DNA. But that's not to say that I was not terrified speaking and I still get nervous public speaking, um, even though I am an extrovert. But um, I think, well, two things. I think um, the greatest gift in terms of my confidence and stopping giving a fuck what other people think about me, mm-hmm. not in an arrogant way, but in a way that, I, you know, if you're going to be a hater, I'm just I'm just not going to allow energy to, to, to be given to that. Mm-hmm. Um, was uh, four years ago, I, I've learned that the, we grow when we lean into fear, yeah? And fear is the greatest opportunity we have to shape ourselves and the future we want. And so I've learned to use fear as a green light to lean into possibility. And about, I think it was three or four years ago, um, I pushed myself to a level that um, has basically made me realize that, you know, you, you can do you can do anything. Um, you, you can do anything. And so what I did was I decided to deliver a keynote to 120 women on stage. Um, the talk was around... Uh, Tactics for Happy Change. Yep. And uh, I stood on the stage and I took off a uh, wraparound bohemian dress and stood there in my bathing suit with a body built for comfort, not for modeling, uh, and basically said that happy change is found when you learn to get comfortable in discomfort. Mm. Uh, and I can honestly tell you it doesn't get any more fucking uncomfortable than this. Yeah. So I knew that in front of an audience of women standing up there in my bathing suit, when I didn't, you know, I'm not uh, a supermodel. I knew there wouldn't be a woman in the room that couldn't relate to how uncomfortable that was. Yeah, and so you're marrying two of life's greatest fears, you know, public speaking and doing it half naked. And that for me was, in terms of my confidence, was probably the most empowering moment of my life. I was nervous as all get out. But what it made me realize is that, you know, in that moment I realized that I no longer cared for the judgment of others. And as long as I was true to myself, and the things that I truly believed in and I was trying to make a positive shift in the world, the judgment of others didn't matter. Mm. And I can't tell you what that did to my confidence in terms of speaking and being completely honest and vulnerable in my opinions because I think so many people in today's world are afraid to have, to take a strong position on things because mm. they're worried what people will think of them. Yeah, yeah. And so we filter ourselves. And so I choose not to filter anymore, not in a way that's offensive, but, you know, in a way that I choose not to filter if I have a perspective on things that might make some people feel uncomfortable. So does that come from just trusting your instincts, trusting your gut, etc.? It comes from being comfortable with experimentation mm-hmm. and basically not trying to be perfect. I am a recovering perfectionist and I just find that the magic sits in our imperfections. I don't sit there to profess, sit and profess to have all the answers. I don't always know that I'm right about things and nor do I, nor do I long to be right. I think right's not that interesting. Um, but, um, I'm very open to experimenting and testing different ideas and having different conversations and, um, challenging myself and others to look at the world through a different lens. And I think by sharing our perspectives on things honestly, that's a brilliant way to do that. Mm, totally agree. I guess the, 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 it all starts with uh, your purpose, right? I mean, you uh, repositioned yourself, you redesigned your life in a way from from your previous life in uh, Perth, Western Australia. Um, mm. And did the purpose just hit you in the head? To just go, oh my God, I now know what No. It is. Oh, you didn't? 
No. Okay, great. No, and this is the thing. <laughs> I think purpose can be very overwhelming for a lot of people. It sounds very big and unwieldy and when you're overwhelmed, it's like, oh, my God, I've got to work out my purpose. I just I have no idea. Okay. Um, and so I, I don't know. I had no idea what I was going to do when I turned my life upside down. Um, you know, I just knew those, those fundamental things of the things that made me happy, and I used that as a compass to just basically take action. And then I let the action breed the clarity. And, I mean, you know, five years later, yeah, I'm pretty clear now that my purpose is to basically teach you know, um, 10 million people how to intentionally adapt so that I can future-proof the happiness, um, hopefully, of our world. Like, that's my purpose. But it's taken me five years to get to that and five years of stuffing up, experimenting, um, you know, pivoting, trying different things. I just, there was no light bulb moment. It was more like a dimmer that gradually got turned up through experimentation and allowing the action to breathe the clarity. So many people think that if I don't have a purpose, I, I can't act. And I actually say, find a compass. What are the things you know to be true in terms of what matters to you and use that to direct your behavior? The rest will unfold. Wow. Amazing. I mean, what, looking back, I mean, you've, you've kind of got to a really strong position, a strong place now in terms of real clarity around what you're here for and what you're doing and, and the value you're adding to people's lives. Um, imagine if you hadn't done that. What would your life look like, do you think, if you just stayed where you were? Well, I always look – really, that's a really interesting question because I always look at it the other way in that I always sit there and go, I still can't believe the life that I have and, and how fortunate I am to do the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you had have told me, you know, six years ago when I was working as an executive, that I would be doing what I'm doing now and that I would have the opportunities that I have, I would have said you were freaking crazy. I never imagined the life that I have to, to be even possible. Um, so that's generally, that's how I look at it and it's only come off the back of leaning into fear every single day. Mm. And so what would I be doing if I had never have disrupted myself? I would probably be one of the people that I you know, get to work with quite often, which is someone who is getting paid a hell of a lot of money with a, a very fancy lifestyle from the outside looking in who inside feels like their soul is dying. Mm. I think that's who I would have been. Yeah. And, man, I'm so glad I'm not. I don't care that all the business has, you know, dried up overnight. I, I sit here and I go, I have all of my basic human needs met. Mm-hmm. I've got um, a wonderful opportunity to positively impact the lives of others during you know this unprecedented time, what a gift! I'm just so grateful. And you know what? If I die tomorrow, I die completely happy. There's always more I could have done, but I am truly doing and or truly living the life that I want to live. And not many people can say that. Well, Penny, that's incredible um, that you got to that point. And um, yeah, I want to say I'm proud of you, but I, you, it's, not my, it's not my position to be proud of you. But it's always it's always amazing to to hear another human being um, feel so um, happy with their life and empowered, and and um, you know feel like such a great uh, a great great position in that regard, despite what's going on in the world. And you know, people need you more than ever uh, right now. And I'm really looking forward to people hearing this podcast around the world and um, and benefiting from uh, your insights, etc. Um, just on leaving, on concluding this, what message would you give to the world right now? 
I like the way you pause and think. <laughs> yeah, but I... <laughs> have I lost you? No. No, no, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm yeah. thinking. I think there's two things I would say. First and foremost, be kind to yourself. Second, I would say, please be kind to others. Please be kind to others. This is a time for kindness. This is not a time... Um, this is not a time to be mean. You know, everyone is hurting, so we need to we need to be cognizant of that. And and everyone is doing the best that they can. Um, and then the third thing I would say, I said I was going to say two, but I'm going to give you can three. Can you say ten? Because I'm just I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> the third thing I would say is have hope. You know, we need hope right now, and have hope that we as human beings have the intelligence to be able to use this as the gift that it truly is and reset our priorities around the things that truly matter. Um, And those things don't sit in ego, financial gain, or billion-dollar companies. They, They sit in being kind to one another and being kind to the environment. Wow. But that's it. You're a beautiful, inspiring human, and I'm, I'm really glad I bumped into you in, um, in Perth. And uh, I want to wish you all the best uh, with what's going on in the world. And um, thank you so much for your time today, Penny. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ben. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about designing your life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe. 